Support for this program comes from my Patreon community. If you'd like to show your love, you can chip in for just $2 a month, and in exchange, you'll get access to exclusive bonus content for each episode, as well as all the show notes with links to the topics and music we discuss. Log on to patreon.com slash Dream to become a Relax Your Grid superfan. If you're interested in learning fiddle, banjo, or guitar, consider pledging at $5 a month in order to unlock access to a growing library of exclusive educational content. Welcome to Relax Your Grid. I'm your host, Matt Brown. On this episode, I chat with Michelle Billingsley about her debut album, Not the Marrying Kind, which is out on Western Myth Records. I produced the record back in 2019 at Narwhal Studios in Chicago. We'll talk about her songwriting process, how we made the record, and what she's working on now. Michelle and I met at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, and it was so great to reconnect with her two years after I moved away from Illinois. Hey, Michelle, welcome to Relax Your Grid. Ah, thanks for having me, Matt. Good to see you. It's been so long. You just told me before we hit record that it's been two years since we made your debut album. Yeah, yeah. Facebook reminded me uh, that it had been two years exactly like uh, in February, right? It was the first date. Yep. And it stretched. We we did a couple dates over the course of several months, right? Like we went, we'd go back in for a day and then take a couple weeks off. Yeah, yeah. I kind of liked doing that just because you would think something that would sound great in the studio and then you'd sleep on it and listen to the next morning. You're like, oh, my God. And you were also you're working your day job the whole time. So like you would take like Fridays off, I think it was. And we'd go in and yeah, knock out a day of recording. What was. Yeah, I'd take a vacation day. Do you remember what that felt like to like switch from doing your day job to being an artist for an entire day and then like having to switch back. Yeah, it felt uh, wrong because you're like, oh great, I don't have to go into work today, but I still have to wake up and I have to warm up my voice and I have to make sure I have everything packed and get to somewhere on time. You know, we started at like nine every morning. That was cruel, wasn't it? Yeah, so it felt like another job. (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't my goal, but it, it was a lesson I learned from uh, Liam Davis, who I made on Big Shoulders with, that he likes to treat his sessions whenever possible like a job rather than like, you know, a, an all night party that starts at like 6 p.m. and goes until four in the morning. And as someone who masquerades as an adult, I can I can see the value in it. Um, would you prefer to make an album like all through the night, though? Like, would that be... No. Okay. No. I'm a, I'm not a morning person, but my brain is awake more in the morning. Yeah. than my body, but then at night both of them just it kind of flip-flops and my body's awake and my brain shuts off, so I hear you. I, I do prefer to just not too early, but wake up and get started. Is that when you do most of your writing? I used to. Remember, I used to wake up at like 4.30 in the morning. That's what I thought. To write songs. Before you went to work. Yeah. I think it was... Um, I've kind of gotten out of that because I've tried to... It used to be I was afraid to come home from work in a bad mood and write. I wanted to just 
be inspired and come from a blank canvas. And I didn't want to deal with the whole day on top of writing. So now I've tried to work, flip flop and see what the other side of that is to come home and say, you know, what? I, I have an hour and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, you know, do something with it. Wow. So the album that we're talking about, Not the Marrying Kind, is your debut record. And it was so it was such a privilege to get to work with you on it and to produce it and to play some some of the instruments. How many of those songs that made it onto the album did you write right when you got up in the morning before going off and doing the rest of your day? I want to say, so there were 10 songs on the album, and I want to say at least eight of them, if not nine. I know then I remember I did during the afternoon once when I was very inspired, but otherwise it was just work in the morning in the dark. Okay, so this begs the question, what time of day did you write Afternoon and Triplet? <laughs> I wrote Afternoon and Triplet in the morning. <laughs> that makes so much, I, I expected that answer. So we got to work at a beautiful studio in Chicago. Um, oh, I miss it. I know, I, I picture that space all the time. Um, Narwhal Studios with the legend himself, Brian Deck, working as our engineer. He's known as for his producing work and his engineering work and, um, you already you already knew of his work before we went in there, so you weren't you weren't a novice to like his sensibility. Is that right? You had offered him up as an idea, and I went on my Googles and found out that he worked with yeah Iron and Wine and Josh Ritter, and I said, "Holy cow, yeah, duh." Yeah, and it's a beautiful space. Um, there in Wicker Park and, and lots of access to delicious restaurants, which is dangerous for the budget and for the waistline. But um, yeah, remember our big star, big star lunch breaks. Oh my God. The best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Working with Brian is, is always a delight and I hope to have him as a guest. Uh, he doesn't know this yet, but maybe he'll listen to this episode and learn that he's on my list. Oh, awesome. He'd be great. He's so interesting, but you don't know that because he won't tell you. Yeah. You have to ask him. And I'm in the habit of just asking him because, yeah, he's brilliant and interesting. And I love he and I have had some really good lunches in particular where I just try and get him talking. And it's amazing what he's done and what he knows and what he thinks about things. So we've kind of talked around it, but let's just let's just work through your album a little bit, because it's I think of it as kind of the last one of the last big things I did before I moved away from Chicago. And I'm so glad the timing worked out um as it did but i would just love to hear your perspective of like what do you now that you're two years past the, the initial recording like what do you remember about making your debut album oh um i remember just being completely petrified going into the studio at least the first two to three dates yeah i think by the fourth day i was like all right i know what i need to do but yeah i was terrified and i keep wondering like how the heck did we even record anything on the first date because I was such a nervous wreck it's just weird to think about I don't know how we I don't know how we made it how do we make it you know I I don't know either I, I could tell that you weren't at your loosest per se but I I thought you did such an incredible job through the whole process including day one and I know that a lot of people when they get into a studio whether it's a home studio or a more like dedicated space like narwhal is they freeze up or they or they don't deliver or they don't hit yeah. like they don't hit the mark that they 
know they could or wish they could. And from everything I know about you and your music, that didn't happen to you. Like you, I feel like you hit it out of the park. And for someone who wasn't in practice doing this sort of thing, like going into a studio, cutting a record, um, that's pretty impressive. And I'm really, it was an awe-inspiring experience just to watch you become comfortable and deliver these really strong performances. And there were, yeah, there were some things we recut a couple times until you were satisfied, but I, that happens to, to people who've been doing this for decades right. too. Right. It's funny. Um, it, it's the red light fever, as you call it, is a hard thing to, um, to come to terms with in your brain because you're in the safest place to be. You're in a studio where if right. you just say, uh, I don't ever want to hear that last take, it's deleted forever. Like you don't have, you can keep going until, until you have what you want. It's just, it's just a weird, it's a weird mind tr trick that happens when you get in there. Yeah. I don't think, I think we might've recorded track like four let's say like four songs the first day does that sound about right i think so i wish i should have brought up my all my notes from the sessions um for this conversation but i wanted to just talk to you like like we usually oh, talk yeah. when we're not recording we remember um i think it wasn't until i do remember we did when will you learn at the end of the day and it was the i found my groove and i i felt like i felt sexy and I felt like the song was bigger than I had anticipated and I was very excited and that's when everything clicked for me I'm like oh this is what you do this is how you can this is where you start from so and then the second date uh I went in there from like all right I want every song to make me feel like this song the way she said Chicago made it sound like a swear your ears got hot across the bar I finally got was fair this one was the one to help you burn away your past Now she's purring like a kitten But there's silence in your pants When will you learn? When will you learn? When will you learn? When will you learn? I got goosebumps when you said that, like, what a safe space it is, because the reason I've dialed back my performing and tried to, without the pandemic, um, increase the amount of time I spend in the studio as a producer and as a studio musician is because I totally agree. I feel like the studio can be, with the right personalities and the right mindset, the safest space to be a creator. There is that, yeah, you're on the clock and yeah, someone's paying for it. Mm -hmm. But when you can tune those two things out and just think about, this is my chance to be creative. This is my chance to take an idea that I had before walking in the door and flesh it out or smash it up against another idea that the person across the room has. I just, I don't know of a more satisfying musical experience on the creator side of things. Like I love teaching and that's the main thing I'm doing right now is teaching people how to get better at their music. And that's the other thing I find really satisfying. But as a creator, being in the studio, creating that safe space and just seeing what happens. Yeah. It's a create, it's a creativity playground. Once you get past your, um, your mind. Yeah. It is so much fun. Yeah. You can keep messing up, but you can keep taking 
the good parts of those takes until you're like, all right, all I'm responsible for in the next 10 minutes is figuring out these three seconds. Like that seems doable. Right, and you have permission to just make different mistakes. Before we logged on to this Zoom call that's that's allowing us to do this from a distance, I found this interview you did back in uh, November where you said to, I guess, Lonesome Highway. Um, oh, yeah. That was a great interview. I love their questions. They did a great job. Yeah. But there's something you said that I thought was so interesting. And I'm quoting you here. I'm not good at lead guitar and I can't belt out, but I can tell a story and maybe make you laugh. Being in the studio really helped me figure myself out. I liked getting on the mic and telling it all of my problems. I feel like a lot of people are not comfortable telling the press or anyone publicly like where their strengths are or anything that might be construed as like acknowledging things they don't know how to do. Or Right. You want to be seen as a, a glass building, you know, completely flawless and perfect. And well, like Leonard Cohen says, uh, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So I, I like when I see my musical heroes give something off the cuff and see if they'll do like uh, a live stream and you get to watch them be people. That is more interesting. So that's, I think that's what always was in the back of my head with any interview or any copy I had to help with was how can I let people in to, you know, how, how my friends see me, I think. Yeah. And the idea of, of like telling, telling the microphone, your problems, like that is such a beautiful way of thinking about both performing live and recording. Although performing live, you're telling the audience your problems through a microphone in the studio the audience is maybe only the microphone with eventually an audience on Spotify or wherever. Right. There's that faith that there's an audience at the end of that signal. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Depending on how long it takes to get through all the post-production. I totally agree with you about your abilities as a storyteller and your abilities to make me laugh as your listener, one of your listeners. Um, and I, th I know that one of the reasons I got excited about, you making a record, whether I was involved in it or not, was every song I've heard that you've written, it's just very clearly a story. I don't feel like you're trying to do anything more than tell a story. And I think most of the songs I like just as a music fan are like that, where it's, I mean, that's the definition of a ballad is that it's a story. And you're writing these stories or telling these stories in a way that's very entertaining or thoughtful or sad. <laughs> um, and you're not trying to like overwhelm me as your listener with like vocal theatrics. Mm -hmm. we, we did all sorts of things to the various songs on the record, but we didn't try and hide the story. Like it was always about the story. Yeah. Um, that I've been thinking about that lately because I've been writing some new songs and I'll play it for my boyfriend and he'll object to a way I rhymed two different words and I said, and that's not always clean. I like I like to be a little messy on perp. And I realized I like to be messy on purpose with my rhymes. If it is in the character's interest, if the character is an uneducated person who's hurting, yeah, the rhymes are going to be a little bit sloppy because they don't care about that right now. Uh, 
So I realized that the way I like to craft a song is, from the look on his face, I realized that that is not the way he crafts a song at all. <laughs> I realized I, I craft it from like a character point of view. And and maybe I had like, I'm maybe overthinking things a little bit, but that's where I come from. heard mama yell when dad took off the belt the good lord will walk with me through the valley oh now look what you done now you get another one mama got two for begging heaven for all my promises of running away and easier days shouldn't i have ended somewhere better than this old habits you die hard and dreams young and nothing changes but my face so I drink till I'm pretty far down till the stars in the sky ain't nothing to the feel of my thighs against that saddle on the bottle I don't think you're overthinking at all. I remember when we were, I don't remember when you f first brought this up, but some point either during pre-production, which is for the listener, uh, what you do to prepare for going to the studio. Is there anything you do prior to starting to record? It could have been in that process or maybe in the studio itself. At some point you told me that all of these songs and maybe all of your songs are like little, like short films. Like these are like movies that like you can see these songs. Mm -hmm. And that informed like, how we decided what the bass would do or if there'd be drums or like how what the energy would be adding banjo here or there. And that blew my mind. Like I I had never heard anyone talk about songwriting or just like song conception, like the song perception, I mean, in this way. Can you talk more about that? Because I I'm still to this day fascinated. And when I listen back to the record we made together. I can hear it. It's South, It's like a soundtrack to for these characters that that you're speaking through. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of while I'm writing, I'd like to picture the room where things happen, or you know, yeah, like the scene where things happen, and that helps me if I go back and I need to rewrite a, a word or a line here I can put myself or when I was in the studio I would put myself into that room again so I knew where things happened and where people were standing I guess I yeah it was like a like a little mini film in my head and I, like I don't I don't like to um I'm not ever going to tell you what that film is right because that you are seeing it from your own camera right so i'm always aware of how to leave things well i don't know if i've said it in that lonesome highway interview but specifically unspecific i yeah. think is i love it the, the key word is i make it specific enough that people can get drawn in and then they can fill in their own blanks it works the, the song where i remember that coming up in the studio as we were deciding what to do in terms of adding layers was when will you learn? Oh yeah. When, when I told Brian, I wanted him to be like a uh, picture you're in the desert and you hear a, a weird 
carousel like wafting in through the desert winds from far away and it's all distorted from the heat and i said that's what i want you that's what i want to hear yeah i don't think anyone had ever told brian wilkie that before i was worried it wasn't going to translate but he's he's a trooper he's a trooper and a wizard and i i feel like he was he's someone who i enlisted for on big shoulders and and he was the only person i wanted to play lead guitar on your record because I just knew that as, as I feel like none of your songs are, are too cookie cutter or like template based. Like they, they just, they seem, they feel like they have unique edges and shapes and Brian Wilkie's the kind of guitar player who, yeah, he can play through a chart as well as anyone. And he can like play Hank Williams song and a George Jones song. So great, but with his eyes closed. Yeah. But he could handle you giving these kind of cinematic uh, notes to him. and I love working with him. I, I've played a couple shows with him since it's, I, I, I just love every opportunity to play with him. And he, if you, you talk to him, he's just like, that sucked. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah. And you're like, no, that was so good. Yeah, he is, he is very critical of himself. And one of the, one of my favorite musicians I've ever heard or worked with, um, if anyone's in Chicago post pandemic and has the chance to just go dance to his honky tonk band, the Hoyle brothers at the empty bottle. Oh, every Friday, five thirty, seven thirty. I walked past the bottle this Friday at like six o'clock and it was dark and it just oh. was like a nightmare. I know. And it's, I feel like for a lot of people who've lived in Chicago who like country music like that, I mean, of course you go. Like, it's just, it's not even a question. And I didn't start going right away. But when Sally and I were first dating, courting, like one of our first dates was like meeting at the bottle and like oh, it's perfect. dancing a little bit. And then we went and had food down the street. And then I forget what happened after that. But, um, you know, it, it's a great place to take family. We The weekend before our wedding, a couple of years later, like yeah. all, all of our family came to the bottle with us for a little while. Like, and then we, what is this? And they loved it. They loved it. And so, yeah, Brian Wilkie can be found in many performing um, capacities, but that's my favorite, honestly, is just to go dance, dance to them at the bottle because it's so, yeah. so good. They're all so good. What a band. Let's return to the to your debut in a minute. But when we, when I reached out and talked about interviewing you for this, and I'm so glad you said yes. Um, I'm so glad you could find time in your COVID schedule for, oh, geez. for this. Yeah. When did you want to do this? Anytime? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm free. <laughs> I'm free after I finished doing nothing for a while. Um, you mentioned that you're already working toward a new record. And could you just tell us a little yeah. bit about what, what that means and, and what your hopes are? And then maybe we'll circle back to to not the marrying yeah. kind you say we but i know it's you too because you don't know anything about this right the new record yeah i haven't told you oh no all i know is that it that it is going to happen and i'm i'm very excited to hear more yeah so i am in pre-production right now and knock on wood no one gets like exposed this week yeah we're going in on saturday amazing i'm going to record i'm going to aim for an EP. I have a couple extra songs. If I have time and money, I'm going to just, I might record them as well and keep them in my pocket. But I was hoping for, 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 <laughs> I've been listening to myself a lot lately, you know, running through these songs and I say for, and I have so Midwestern, I cut 
I I cut the G off everything. Say lion instead of lying. God. Well, it's part of who you are. You know, it's it's that character who you, the little light shines through. I know. I have to make sure that she's not every character. She's maybe <laughs> on certain songs. Yeah. So I I took some older songs from like before, not the Marrying Kind or Oh wow. Know, and I rewrote some. Some are like Neat Whiskey, I'm gonna do. Cool. I'm gonna do a big version of that. Has that changed I, since I would have heard it? It's pretty much the same. Okay, cool. I like it. I like it as I last heard it. I want to make it big and add like banjos and fiddles to it. Kind of like a, my, my idea right now, let's see how well this age is. But my idea right now is to be like, kind of like good old country baptizing the Graham Parson and Emmy Lou. Oh, cool. Yeah. We're just kind of a little bluegrassy and fun and rowdy. So we'll see. Nice. So tell me about the band because, and this is where I, I'd want to circle back to marrying kind or not the, <laughs> in this case, um, when we made your first record together, you didn't have a band. Like we just had you and a guitar and your songs. And so we recorded a lot of that stuff first and then added other layers. Some of it, we ended up doing live with great local musicians, including Brian, but <laughs> are you doing this with like a set group of people and getting to rehearse and actually prepare as a big unit before tracking anything? Uh, Somewhere in between. I've got a core group of people who are, who, you know, will play with me if I have gigs and if they don't have gigs. So I swear everyone in those towns in at least two or three bands. So yeah, I I still don't have a band, but I have, uh, yeah, a drummer and a bassist. And then I have uh, this great, guitarist called brian wilkie oh i've heard so of him to go back <laughs> that's fantastic do i know the drummer and the bassist um i don't know the drummer's jordan snow i don't know if you know him he usually plays in a big um i think he said an r&b band oh cool and then the bassist is also in joe wartell's band it's brian westfall nice we played together um a few times and then i'm going to record us together and then track it out separately just because you know how inconsistent I am with my tempo (laughs) I need I need a drummer before I start singing so I'm going to try it I'm going to try it that way first and then I might and then I'm going to add in maybe fiddle I was gonna talk to you about that later maybe banjo maybe horn somewhere gotta go full ring of fire at some point yeah, I heard there's a, I know there's a piano there and there might be an organ there. So maybe I will do my keyboard debut. Oh, cool. What studio do you know? I'm going, I'm going into Jam Deck. Nice. It's on like a humble and Chicago. I am so excited for you. This is, this is awesome. And I want to hone in on something you just said, just given the theme of the podcast. So the theme of the podcast is I talk to my friends and my clients and my heroes, and we talk occasionally. (laughs) What am I talking about? This is the second episode. I don't have a pattern to establish, but we're establishing the pattern. It's a wild west so far. I know, right? Um, This is going so well. (laughs) My goal is to always ask people about this, this concept of quantizing and like how much how much to let like computers and precision and like artificial intelligence, like straighten out our music and like 
take away the rough edges. And I remember this from when we tracked not the marrying kind that um, that you're you're very like playful and open with rhythm. Oh yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> in a way that like I don't know it. I was very full of errors, and yeah, if I if I focus too much on what I'm saying, I just throw them out of time. It's see, I would I would amend that, and this is not just as your friend. I would say, like your your music is full of error, error, a i r error. No, a i r error. There's like space, <laughs> and like the prime example um, is Mom Jeans, which is like our our faux Cajun track. Um, there's a moment before you deliver like the crucial line when there's like a little extra space. And I was, I was two-stepping to this song earlier today with my, my seven month old son in my arms. And you can't quite keep dancing in that stretched out moment. You kind of have to just wait a second. And I remember when I put the fiddle track on, I had to just kind of wait a second. And I know when Ethan put his bass part on, he had to just kind of like hang out for a second. And it makes the song so interesting. Yes, it's great to work with a drummer and it's great to rehearse and it's great to like have like synchronicity with the other musicians. But there's something about that track in particular and this that sensibility where it's like, no, like this is how the song goes. This is how I'm playing the song. And there's a little extra space before I deliver this very important line. I don't know. I think there's something very beautiful about that. Sometimes the apple falls far from the tree But boy, this one hasn't Inherited her eyes, her smile, her nose Her boobs and her bad habits From the time I could talk Picked up all I was taught Mama took that to heart I'll let someone treat you I'll let someone beat you down How to make your own scars I got a short fuse and love thought this week about mom jeans and I just thought like my my specific thought was how good you were because I know that there's yet uh issues in my playing there uh, that you created this this fiddle part to go over the whole thing and it you know like hills and valleys and all it was and you did it on in like what three takes well, I, I had heard the track a couple of times first, so that helped is that like just like the inner fiddle player, pretty much any old time bluegrass, Cajun or country song that I'm hearing, if there's not fiddle, there's a part of me in the back of my mind that's like, OK, this is what I would do on the fiddle or this is what I would try. And so I, yeah, I was able to do it in a however many takes because I already had some ideas about where where to put the fiddle part. But anyway, I given the theme of the podcast and the name of the podcast, I just, I think it's such an interesting concept to like, to think about that track sounds like how we made it. Like it, we didn't try and force it into like a cubby um, or anything. Like you recorded yeah. your guitar part and you sang the song and you told the story and you got a good take. And then we were, we decided to add, to make it kind of a Cajun vibe. So we had Ethan dial in like an electric bass that sounded kind of like Balfa Tushur or some of these more modern Cajun bands. And then we decided fiddle would be fun. And I tried to do my, Focajian thing. Um, <laughs> and 
and that's I, I don't know i just feel like that space is is as clever as the song is like that rhythmic there's like a rhythmic cleverness about you doing it with that extra little room before we land on on the punchline it's very interesting you brought that up because um i don't know if you remember neat whiskey has something kind of similar in it and i brought it to rehearsal and the band's like what are you doing because i think the neat whiskey i am changing it from like a four four to like a three three four one measure and they're like what if we just squared this out and i just let them like come up with all these ideas i was like no this is the song it has to do that right it's very specific yeah and that's okay like i yeah i think there's enough square music in the world and not that every everything has to be like purposefully quirky, but if the song comes out with like, yeah, a measure of three, four or an extra little gap before resolving the thought, I think that's like, that's where the money is. Like that's what, that's what makes you sound like you and not like a ton of other people who sing songs that they wrote yeah. and play the guitar. Yeah. Cause there's, you know, a billion songs written in G. Right. I write and I worry at the same time that these songs just sound too bland, you know, or, or formulaic. And then I go to rehearsal with the band and I realize how a little bit squirrely it is. And I, I feel better about it. It's like, oh, great. I'm actually a better songwriter than I thought I was. I think that is undoubtedly true. You're, you're a great songwriter. ago did you write your first song not that long ago i didn't start playing guitar until 2011 and this is 2021 right right now so 10 years yeah 10 years i don't think i started writing until like 2014 or 15 what inspired you to write was it trauma was it wanting to have a voice in in a music that already had a lot of other songs or i've tried to express this before but it was I was trying I was starting I had gotten you know well enough to play guitar that I could go to open mics and what do you do you go to an open mic you play someone else's songs and I just got I couldn't find a song that I loved well enough yeah and I I I kept researching songs after song and I was literally walking down Addison because I the tra- the buses would run every half hour during rush hour so i was walking home from work and i was just it popped i can see it was right before i got to cub stadium actually and i thought oh i can write my own song yeah it can say whatever i want and it can have any notes i want yeah and i i just didn't think about how much work that was at the time i just thought oh this is perfect this is a great solution to this problem i have (laughs) so i went home and you know ignored that thought for like a year and then sat down one day and wrote a song and i thought oh this is easy (laughs) do i know that song or is that song not no i don't i don't play it much but it's the first song in my book yeah do you remember it a little bit i don't think it needs to have the light of the day it it was just a nice you know, ramp into songwriting. And it wasn't until I got, you get to your second song, you're like, whoa, 
uh, I have zero ideas. What should I write about? Right. <laughs> it's just crickets yeah. for weeks on end. And you're like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. Why did I do this? How many songs do you think you've written total, whether, whether good or bad, like just right, quantity? So I, have a, I have a mole skin. Yeah. And it's like, say, a third of the way written. Okay. With a song on one page. Yeah. Yeah, you've put a 10-song album out. You're about to make another record. Yeah, another, well, an EP, so maybe six songs. So 16 eight published songs, songs yeah. eight, 18 published songs before too long. And then a bunch more that have not seen the light of day yet. Yeah, some are crap. Um, and then some, I already cut two songs off of this album because I just, they just didn't fit or they sound, the, the, they sound too much like another song that I liked better. Yeah. That's fair. I think that's a really good lesson though, like how you came to songwriting because people might have the notion that you're not allowed to write your song, write your own songs until you hit a certain threshold of skill or like until I'm at least intermediate or at least, or, or, or even advanced on my instrument, whatever it may be, I'm not allowed to right. write my own materials. Like, no, you can, you could start right. Like you could pause this podcast and just like yeah. pull out a notebook or pull out, you know, roll up to your piano or however it goes and just start an idea or let an idea you come just, out. Yeah. And you don't even have to write a whole song. You can just right. start a note on your phone and keep a bunch of lyrics that you like that. I did that for a few months before I started to write until I looked back and I was like, Oh, these are actually pretty good. I'm going to see what I can do with this. And then you're a songwriter. You're a songwriter just like that. Um, Okay, so it's been 10 years since since you started the guitar. And how frequently would you say that when you sit down to write a song now, it is a full song that gets like you start it and then you finish it fairly soon versus it's like a little nugget that you then plunder months later? Oh, I hate those. You hate the nuggets? I hate the nuggets. There's one song I recently finished it felt like a video game where you had to log so many hours working on it until you reach the next like loot drop and you got another and you're like, Oh, thank God. So it was miserable because I just spent hours just sitting there until I got a, a next, you know, bead on the necklace. I hate those, but I'll do it. Yeah, I like that. Like, then I remember, I think was the last song and Mom Jeans were both inspired songs. They came out, they just came out front to back. Wow. And I could just sit down and write it and do minimal editing and they were done. I clean the house, fix dinner, put on your favorite perfume. Put on that dress you talked me into for our honeymoon Fell asleep in your easy chair Midnight came, still you're not there And then I, I remember Then I remember Middle of night, I had a bad dream I dreamt that you were gone
what was the hardest song to finish on uh, Not the Marrying Kind? What took the m- most struggle as a writer? Afternoon in Triplet still eludes me. <laughs> was that the one you weren't even sure you wanted to keep on the record? Like we, you and I debated about whether to... I threatened to cut it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I left it on, and it's funny, I have a friend who... When, you know, the Spotify end of the year, like, here's who you listen to. Yeah. Came out like that was his number one song. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't it didn't it never occurred to me that anyone would get that far. You know, it's the ninth song. It's the second to last song on the album. I didn't think anyone would listen to it, actually. Well, two things, though. Remember, Spotify, they could be shuffle playing it. So they, they could have gotten to it real quick. And number two, I think as a songwriter, it's probably good for you to remember that every song you write and publish and like that, it, that passes your filter of like, this is good enough to put out. Someone is probably going to like it. Like there, there's going to be one person and I'm not saying only one, but like there's going to be a person for whom that song is like that triggers a memory or like that plays a movie in their mind. That's so vivid or good point. Good point. That's why I wanted to keep it. It's a really cool song and Aaron Smith's bass playing. I remember when oh, Aaron fantastic. cut the, the bass part um, and did that crazy break. And you, do you remember what you told him? I, I don't remember verbatim, but you were, you were encouraging him to kind of let loose on his bass solo and just like be less specific and less like. Yeah. I said I wanted it weird and sawing and I don't remember the imagery I gave him, but I remember when it was happening, I was like, weirder. Say we tried, she looks fine, but the light has lost her eyes. We ended up with two incredible bass players, Aaron Smith in Chicago, and then um, yeah. I couldn't resist asking Ethan Yojevitz to to put a bunch of bass on. He had just, I think on I think it was on Instagram, he had just like right before we went into the studio, he had posted, like, okay, I'm set up for mobile recording. If anyone needs bass um just reach out to me and then you and i started making this record and all i could think about is like we got to get ethan on this record even from nashville oh he's so good he did such oh, so many things and that like the distorted bass sounds on um she's yeah. gone i love that i love that and i loved that was fun like getting a present in the mail like oh the tracks are in right it was like christmas but later or earlier depending on how you yeah, that was a that was a fun moment in the recording process. And just um, Brian Deck wheeling his chair off to the side and throwing up a little drum set and just playing it, just like cranking it out right there. It was so fun to sit there and watch. Yeah, that that's a that's a great point. You know, Brian Deck, there are two Brian's on the record, Wilkie and Deck. Um, Brian Deck is a fantastic drummer, and I think he doesn't get to drum enough um, on all the records he makes. Like he's so busy producing and, and engineering simultaneously all these great projects and working with a huge cast of characters. Um, we've mentioned a couple of them, but he's a really good drummer, and and he was a drummer before he started recording people's albums and it was really cool to get him involved as the drummer. It just made so much sense and. Um, his voice as a drummer is just like 
I feel like the perfect fit for these songs. And he was already kind of, because he was there engineering, he was getting a sense for your songs. Oh, his parts were perfect and specific and moved the story forward. Yeah. Yeah, especially, yeah, and she's gone. Oh, I felt, I felt, I knew you said we could ask him, you know, like he would be open to playing drums, but I just felt like he's already doing so much work, but he, he just seemed to have so much fun playing them that it was, it was more fun to just go with the flow. Yeah. That kick drum part on She's Gone with like the irregular heartbeat is just like the yeah. creepiest thing. It's like, when is he going to hit? Oh, he hit it again. Like, when is he going to hit? Oh my gosh. He didn't. Oh, and then he did. Yeah. It's like on the third, every other third beat. It's crazy. Ah, uh, what great memories. Yeah. I love that track. And it just, uh, you know, with, with the PR campaign I ended up doing, it just, it didn't fit, you know, our little specific bookshelf. So it kind of got lost, but that was one of my favorites. Well, if you're up for it, I'll put it as the last track, as the full track at the end of the episode, people, so people can just hear it as if they keep playing through the interview. Is that cool? That's great. And tell people, you know, because the bass gets lost on your phone if you're playing on your phone on speaker. That's a headphones track. Plug it in. Yeah. Because you don't, you miss the bass drum and you miss the cool bass part that Ethan did. Oh my gosh. That's so true. Do you remember when this whole trajectory started? Was it at Stephen Wade's camp in Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. We were sitting in the mess hall at the desk at the desk at the um long you know tables i think chris walls was there it was just a random middle of the night sometime right right it was after the jams and it was just chris and you and me and like you and i was kind of prodding you and chris to each sing your original songs because chris has that quiet side of town that i love and then you have all these songs that i really love yeah oh he's so good so it was that conversation that started all this yeah, you said you know if you want to, if you want to do an album, like I will help you make an album. And I thought it was the first time I thought, oh, that's allowed. Really? Yeah. I remember that conversation, and I can picture the like the setting with you and me and Chris. But I do not remember having said that to you, and I'm really glad I did. Yeah, you said that, and it 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 was just I didn't yeah I didn't realize that I could because i i you know i had the i had that band at the time eleven dollar supper and it was just hey you know amanda lived in nashville and sam was moving away i don't remember if she'd moved out yet i don't think she had quite yet but like she was like moving toward like starting a family and it right and i just knew that wasn't a great place to start a band from so i thought i was out of luck and i had all these songs and you said no 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 you can do them yourself and i thought oh so what? I I came back to you like a few months later. It wasn't a year. It was it was like a couple months later and I said, "Yeah, let is this some let's figure this out." Wow. I found I haven't been on Instagram much. I've been trying to take just the year off of social media because I think it's the great Satan. One of them. One of the one of the many Satans. <laughs> um but I saw the picture. I, I took a picture in my um the condo I was renting on Argyle in mm-hmm. Chicago, um, 
I took a picture of you from one of our pre-production meetings where you just came over. Yeah. Might have biked over with your guitar. You made focaccia. As one does. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just have this picture of you playing. I know you playing my guitar, so you must have come from somewhere else without yours. Um, and it was just such a lovely memory to think about like how this all started and and to think back to to the $11 supper days and you brought the, you brought Amanda and Sam onto the record to sing harmonies on Kangaroo Court, which is awesome because that was maybe the first song of yours I'd ever heard. And I heard it in the context of the trio when the three of you were playing together mm-hmm. at Stevens Camp. And so I knew the song and then we did all this other stuff to it and to your other songs. But to have them as a part of the record was such a nice feature. It was nice. I felt bad that that was the only space I had for them on that album. Because I felt that where that album was going, it was going to be less folk than where we started. Did you expect to make a folk record? I think I was starting to, I don't know if I've told you this, but I've kind of outgrown. I kind of outgrew who Michelle was at Old Town School of Folk Music. Yeah, which is where I met you the first time. Do you remember where we met? The first time? No. We met, speaking of Chris Walls, we met uh-huh. in Chris Walls' uh, finger-style yes. blue slide blues, blues guitar class too. Right. Yep, that I jumped into because one of my <laughs> classes right. I was teaching got canceled, and I, Chris had hired me, and I adore him, and I wanted to check out one of his classes, and I love playing guitar, and so I signed up, and I, rem- I you're the only person I remember who was also in that class, when I mean, there were other people, but I remember that you were in the class, and I don't think we like conversed much, but I just, that was like, like, oh, that's a person named Michelle and she plays yeah, guitar. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a long time ago compared to some of these more recent stories. Yeah. So I'd been, I'd been hanging out with uh, more, you know, country honky tonk, Chicago honky tonk people yeah. at this time. And it was, it was more exciting and alluring than folk was at the time but i realize i write from a very folk oriented point of view i always have to try to just trim around the corners there well and i think that's part of your voice too is like you had this immersion in the in one of the communities at the old town school because i think of the old town school of folk music as not just being i mean there's one central community of people who oh yeah take the guitar classes and the mandolin and the fiddle but different people come and go for different times of the week or times of the day. Um, but yeah, I, True. I know that like you're a big fan of all uh, several eras of country music as a listener and, and you love to go dance. You and Andrew love to go, you know, two step mm-hmm. and waltz to the Hoyle brothers. Um, at what point in our process did you realize that the record wasn't going to sound like $11 supper, even though we had them on a track, which was great. And it was going to sound like this new thing that was, um, some people might call it Americana at this point, although that's a funny designation, but like had a more country and more modern and electrified vibe. I think it was kind it was a little seed from the beginning. Okay. I knew it had to be who I was and it couldn't be who we were. And I feel like maybe there was some, um, sad feelings involved with the band that I I went ahead and did this on my own and I didn't, you know, include them. And I, I realized that happened, but I couldn't at the same time stop and bring them along the whole way. It had to, this, the record had to be the record. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's hard. It's hard, you know, because we make most of us make music with other people and it's possible to hurt someone's feelings or to like as as your trajectory, you know, arcs forward, it can intertwine with someone else's or depart from someone else's. Um, I do remember Brian was so impressed by Samantha and and Amanda when they just came in that day and they just like slammed out their vocal harmonies and then left. Yeah. And Brian was, Sam like, was like, was on, it was going, it was like on a road trip and right. she just left the house. Her baby was in the backseat. Billy was driving around the block and she just banged out her harmony. And she's like, I am off to Long Island to see you guys. So I'm a local, I like me, no quarter given, no change receive, but I, I mean, she's as sweet as can be, your honor, her honor is a squeaky clean when she loves, when she loves, she loves like the back of a hand. I'm asking you now, I petition you. first met you met you again or got to know you better in the context of $11 Supper that I was thinking like oh like what would it be like to work with this trio and this whole band and like pursue this folk yeah. trio thing and we tried to do that yeah like we made some some videos um and hung out a couple times and talked about harmonies and and arrangements and such and then yeah it just it became clear that there wasn't a like a sustainable, obvious path for the the band to to be the next right. thing, and and you were itching to to start this musical journey that that you're now on. Yeah, I love the band while it happened, and I'm sad it's gone. But it was also, and but at the same time, it was an integral part of me getting where I am right now. And it's part of why you and I started talking about this record too. Though I don't remember having said those words to you that started the record trajectory, I do remember that whole process of just getting to know the three of you better and just be marveling at the energy of the, of your friendship and the music and the harmonies and just thinking the world of all three of you as individual musicians and then the energy together. So I don't think we would have made Not the Marrying Kind without $11 Supper having been part of your story and how I got to know you better. Because I think... I think it started the year before again at American Roots Festival is you said, oh, why don't, why does an $11 supper do an album? And, you know, we had, we had talked about it for like a year and it just, I think fell apart. And then when you said, why don't you do an album? And I thought, oh, I didn't realize that was allowed. I promise. I don't just say that to everyone I meet. It just might feel like it to you. I'm glad you did. I can't, I can't imagine. Oh, it was so much fun, like creating the album. And I, I love that it's out. I just wish more people would buy it. Well, <laughs> would buy it. I have a feeling that both of the people who listen to this podcast will buy it now. Oh, your, your relatives. Um, definitely my mom and maybe um, <laughs> my cousin or my uncle. Um, so 
Great. Michelle, I'm so glad you joined us on the podcast and I'm so excited to see, well, hear what the next record's like and what your musical journey becomes once you're allowed to play shows again. I know sure. you made this record and we're ready to do a big rollout and got all this great press and then COVID happened and I no know. shows, um, but it's only the beginning and it's just, I'm really honored that I got to work with you on, on your debut and, and such a fan and very excited to see what comes next. Well, thank you. Thank you for like starting this and thank you for having me on this. And yeah, you know what? When I get some tracks, I get some rough mixes. I'll send them to you. Please do. Just because you you know what it's like to work with me. Yeah. And I'll I'll play fiddle on any of them just in my room here. And if that's what I was wondering or or banjo, I have the banjos right on the other side. So um, we can Great. we can pursue that. And yeah, I love it. Um, well, thanks again. And folks, follow Michelle in all of the non-creepy online ways. Spotify. Follow me on Spotify. I've got 12 followers. Um, Let's bump it up. Let's get it to 14. Subscribe. Yes, yeah, so for 14, I've got like 20 subscribers on YouTube. I could use a couple more. Nice. Yeah, there's Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I, I think I had it and then I deleted it because I thought it was spyware. Yeah, it probably is. It's a young person's game. And by young, I mean, like, I think they're like eight and 10 year olds. And then like oh, emergency yeah. room doctors who like twerk or whatever. Yeah, I guess I'll re I'll open it up again. I just. It's really not I necessary. I don't need that in my life, really. I don't think anyone needs TikTok. But um, <laughs> <laughs> with that, we'll leave you folks. Um, tune in next time. Thanks for listening. And uh, check out Michelle's beautiful music. Warns you she's a wild animal Always talking about doors and windows Testing out foundations For cracks that let the light in Tie her down with words And with friends Have you gotten any sleep since? Offer up your belly Teach her mercy Feed her compliments her warm content She can't run if she's full Still can't sleep, can you? You can grease the devil's palm Doesn't matter, she's gone She's gone, gone, gone Wily won't you swallow them all? Will they throw their guns on the ground? The first time they hear her howl, grease the devil's palm. Doesn't matter, she's gone. Her 
got a leech now, you know she knows the price of running free. Would you count that as a win? If you're enjoying this podcast, there are three ways you can support the show. Share it with a friend, write a positive review wherever you listen, or become a Relaxer Grid Patreon superfan for just $2 a month. Thanks to Tim Brown for his post-production assistance, to Otto Allard for his design of the Relaxer Grid logo and videos, and to Max Allard, his brother, for those tasty electric guitar chords you hear sprinkled throughout the episode. Tune in next time for an interview with my friend Greg Reich, and until then, relax your grid. <laughs>